Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at bite.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I love being here with you. I'm your host, Nayara, filling in for John Fugelsang, who's taking a well-deserved day off. I will be with you for the rest of this program today, where you get the opportunity to tell me everything. I'll have some specific questions for you all in a moment, but I want to make a quick shout out to Chris Houselt and Thea Harper, who make this show happen every single night. Thank you both for being here with me. Thank you for doing all of this work on behalf of our listeners. We also have joining us today as part of the program, we have Eric Ward of the Western State Center. He's a race and extremism scholar. He may have a few things to tell us about what's going on with Oath Keepers and some of the other groups that you hear about connected to the January 6th insurrection. We have Imani Gandhi, who is a lawyer of which she's also with rewire news group and she talks about and digs into reproductive justice which is also known as abortion rights right now and so uh, she'll help us understand exactly how states rights is supposed to be working along with this uh, lindsey graham lindsey's law uh, that he wants to have a national abortion ban so we'll get into the politics of that and andrew lawrence he's a, at media matters um, he is uh, going to talk to us uh, about uh, you know the extremism side in media the the misinformation cutting through the chatter and and then of course my favorite piece of this which is a tucker carlson interview tied to mourning the queen of england and 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 tucker decided to mourn the queen by at saying that indians and anybody in colonial environments really had done nothing on their own since the british left so we're going to chop it up a little bit about that today because i have a bit of a colonial heritage myself uh, as a colonized uh, ancestry. My parents are 
from what is now known as Pakistan, that uh, what used to be uh, the British Raj. And uh, the I was just looking this up uh, because there's a petition now to return the crown jewels. Um, the Kohinoor is a uh, 150 carat diamond, which is in the crown of the Queen Mother. Beautiful diamond uh, was taken from India and and you know just put into a crown in England. And so there's a petition to get that back. And I just found out that actually that's going to Camilla, the Queen Consort. And I'm I'm having some feelings about that. And I, I suspect those feelings are about the fact that it is impossible to escape coverage of the Queen's funeral proceeding, not even proceedings, we're not even at the funeral, right? But just the, the, the Queen's uh, casket moving around London and people just kind of standing there, staring at it, paying homage. I get it. Listen, I get her her 70-plus year reign saw many points of history and it gives us an opportunity to reflect on all of our collective history especially if you're British and you're reckoning with, you know, what your empire used to be and where you're at today. And, you know, how do we feel about what our countries have done in our name? I get all of that. But does that really need to be the only thing we get to see on TV now? Do we not have other things that we need to be exploring and talking about? What's your take? Like, are, are you over it? Are you over it? Or do you find it to be a nice distraction from our otherwise sordid reality of, you know, extremism and polarization in American politics? Question for you. For real. Where are you I'm at with all it. this coverage about the queen? Hmm? Where are you I'm at? Over it. I think I'm I heard a it. voice. I heard a voice. Somebody saying, I'm over it. Get I'm over it. over it. I'm over it. I mean, at this point, we might as well start taking tallies of, of people, you know, calling and say, just say, I'm over it and hang up. I'm over it. Like, how many people can we get to say, I'm over it and hang up? Can we get into the hundreds? Do you think we can make that happen? President Biden, I think, does have a fascinating history with this because he actually, when he was chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, really pissed off the British by advocating and putting into law that the U.S. recognizes the IRA as a legitimate political party, not solely a terrorist organization. And uh, you had Stephen King. As a congressman too, who who acknowledged that and, and that these you know these are freedom fighters, people who have a right to self determination. You know that Irish Americans support the IRA, uh, not something that uh, Congressman Steve King can seem to support for other indigenous groups that are fighting for freedom from colonization. So, uh, but uh, you know, be that as may, uh, it is apparently Biden's mom had admonished him to never, you know, ne- never ne- never bow down to a queen, but he will be attending. The state funeral um, had some nice words to say about you know, a, a fellow uh, member of the greatest generation having passed. Uh, so, you know, opportunity to reflect on history there. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I would like to see Biden actually stay in Ireland, and it may be possible because they're not allowing uh, helicopters uh, or direct flights to Heathrow. So, Air Force One itself would not be able to land at Heathrow. There is Shannon Air Force Base. Uh, in Ireland, which is usually where when secretaries of state and presidents and folks travel to the Middle East or elsewhere, they will do a stopover, a refueling stopover in Shannon, Ireland. I just I just think it'd be amazing if the American president stayed in Ireland for the commemoration of the passing of the monarch. But right now we've got King Chuck. Yay, King Chuck. That's who we've got. Uh, but in that spirit of being over it, I do want to make sure we do get to some of these other headlines because we have a couple of there's some good news, some mixed bag news as well. Uh, the good news, according to the World Health Organization, they say that 
while many countries are still struggling with infection rates and vaccinations, they're starting to see the end of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic on the horizon. And they say that uh, is a result of a decrease in the death rate, um, that the death toll is decreasing. Um, and now six million people died of COVID, right, since um, since this whole this whole thing started, actually 6.5 million people. Uh, but as far as weekly death rates, it's dropped by at least 20 percent. Um, just and I say that in air quotes, 2000 deaths a week, uh, which, you know, I suspect people, 2000 people die from many other things in, in the world. So that seems to me to be reasonable. Um, the challenge, of course, is that there is one place where things are, the infections are increasing, and that is the continent of Africa, because vaccine inequity still exists. Um, they were hoping to, the World Health Organization was hoping to vaccinate at least 40% of every country's population by the end of this year. Only two African countries have even reached that benchmark. So um, we're seeing a 10, 10% uh, increase, not only of infections, but deaths in the continent of Africa. So I can see why the World Health Organization, looking at the developed world and based on how we are experiencing life in the United States, is like, yeah, we're almost over. We're almost there. But uh, it is not insignificant to have more than a billion people uh, not have access to a vaccine and still uh, not only suffer from the disease, potentially carry future mutations. So, uh, yeah, I think I managed to take that piece of slightly good news and turn that as a downer. Um, here's another uh, here's another bit of a, uh, a a downer for you, but I think I'm going to try to twist this to a positive. So let's see if I can get there, which is that the downer that uh I can't even call him fringe Republican candidate anymore because this is this is becoming a mainstream Republican idea of denying the election. Right. Dan Baldock won the GOP primary in New Hampshire. He's going to be facing off against Senator Maggie Hassan for re-election. You we also see um, that they're actually throughout the Republican slate are uh, including for secretary of state. That's the person who controls the elections in the state that there are people who actively deny the election, you know, deny that Biden is president. On, on the ballot now. Now, the flip side of that is that we are seeing uh, polling increasing that Americans overall see that there's a threat to democracy um, and that that is increasing in, in, in terms of the thing that people feel is a compelling reason to go and vote. Now, it's something like 55% of Republicans and 53% of Democrats believe that in the near future, uh, the United States will no longer be a democracy. I find that to be an interesting data point because I'm not convinced that both of those groups are pointing to the same issues as why the U.S. democracy is under threat. Right. I'm not I, I'm, I'm heartened to hear that people are concerned about the state of our country. But Democrats, by and large, think that there was an insurrection because that's what we saw. The Capitol come under attack, whereas, you know, election deniers think that democracy is under attack because of fake news and because of ballot fraud, right? Which none of that has proven to be real. So one is worried about democracy based on the facts and one is worried about democracy based on conspiracy theories. So I, I don't know how you square that circle. Um, and if that ends up being that you need to strengthen the system and the system of checks and balances, or you end up with, you know, people in power who decide that they just need to be able to run things the way they want to run them for ever and ever. Amen. I, I was going to end that on a happier note. Um, well, since we were talking about the Senate, John Fetterman seems to be doing pretty well. I mean, Dr. Oz, um, 
is down by nine points in the Pennsylvania Senate range. So that's fairly good news, considering that Fetterman hasn't really been out in the campaign trail much. We've heard some chatter that uh, Democrats uh, as a establishment are a little concerned about his health care, his health issues, that he's not out there. So he he's, uh, you know, having rallies this week, getting out there. But, uh, you know, Oz just can't seem to dig himself out of his own home. And the fact that, you know, he's he, he just really that the houses in New Jersey, the multiple houses across in Florida, uh, not doing well for his, you know, his message that he's native of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, also uh, someplace that the president, Biden, holds near and dear to his heart, um, born and raised in Scranton, part uh, also then when he was in Delaware and serving a center for Delaware, he used to famously take Amtrak back and forth from Capitol Hill back to home. So between the union labor workers of Pennsylvania, railroads, uh, I'm sure the president is deeply concerned in tracking what's going on with our rail services right now. Uh, we are seeing Amtrak is um, shutting down long route passenger trains right now. Uh, grain shipments on uh, freight will likely cease tomorrow because of a concern about a rail worker strike. Now, what's interesting in this scenario is that its strike is due for next week, uh, and folks are hoping that there will be some kind of negotiated agreement. But Congress was trying to step in and force that agreement, right? Effectively trying to pass a law to tell workers who want a raise and some basic you know, provisions of what it means to get health care protections and, you know, like just just be respected in your job that they Congress wanted to pass legislation to force them to cut a deal, probably because if rail service uh, shuts down, that costs the country about two billion dollars a day. So severe economic consequences. But that is then the power of the worker. Yes, they help workers help drive the economy. They should be compensated appropriately. Railroad union, uh, you may recall, um, is also very active. The porters, railroad porters in the civil rights movement, because majority of them were black. So really a long history of um, railroad workers as a union um, really being able to step up and demand changes that then ripple across other industries. So fascinating to see that Congress today try to force their hand. Now, Bernie Sanders voted against that. I do not have actual audio of Bernie Sanders um, and what he had to say on the floor, but I do have with us our resident uh, impersonator, Chris. Please tell us, how did Bernie Sanders stand up for workers today? Look, the rail worker of America is an essential part of our national labor fabric and they have just as much right to negotiate for livable honest wages as the CEOs and millionaires and billionaires have to take those away that was Chris Halsalt our resident executive no, producer that was here no that was Bernie Sanders sorry, right, everyone knows it, it really actually so really long Senator thanks for out. coming by really freaks me out how well you do that. Um, Really just kind of freaks me out. They're not the only group striking, right? Uh, We have nurses in Minnesota 
striking right now. And the Minnesota, uh, that's, you know, as shortages happening across the country, this is nurses going up against hospital administration for more reasonable hours. They uh, want to negotiate their contracts and they're like, we're critical to the functioning of our healthcare as a society. We are overworked and overwhelmed. Uh, they have been striking for the last five days. And get this, in Minnesota right now, um, scab nurses who are willing to cross the picket line were being offered $8,000 for five days of work. I'm like, if you're willing to throw $8,000 at somebody for five days of work, why don't you just negotiate a better contract? Like, just just take care of people. Like, why, why is this so hard? I mean, not the stuff isn't unreasonable. But in, with Minnesota, they, they have not even met with the hospital system yet to negotiate. So so who knows what's going to happen there? And it, that is very likely to spread because that's 15,000 nurses in Minnesota alone. It, it, we're seeing a resurgence of union movements. I, I don't know if we'll see a resurgence then of the brutal tactics that were used against union labor uh, and against people who were striking back in the day. Um, we're looking at the 50s and 60s, especially with the Pinkerton uh, right hiring of private security that would beat up striking workers and corporations got away with that. I hope that we we are expecting better and doing better by workers going forward. Interestingly enough, 70 yeah. percent of union growth, 70 percent of union growth is from people under the age of 35. So a younger generation is starting now to see the value of having a union that will protect your worker, your, your work conditions and have basic standard contracts, not necessarily the unions of old where people felt that, you know, their dues were not really doing anything. They were just going to a national network. These are all local unions, local movements. So maybe that is the future. But clearly something about unions is resonating. I'm your host, Nayara, here on Tell Me Everything. We'll be back right after this break. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back, everybody. This is Nayara here on Sirius XM Progress, filling in for John Fugel saying on Tell Me Everything. We've been talking about better things to talk about than the casket of the former Queen of England or the dead Queen of England. One of those things I think is more important to talk about is the state of our democracy. The idea of polarization, extremism, what we need to be watching out for as a threat to our democracy and how the veneration that we hear about the Queen of England actually taps into something very similar 
to what people are thinking when they say, make America great again. So we'll dig into all of that with our next guest, Eric Ward, who is a senior advisor at the Western State Center. I know Eric as a scholar. Um, on race and extremism in American history, but he's also spent a significant amount of time in the um, northwest part of the country, which is where we are seeing the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and in places like Oregon uh, and Washington State, hanging out, building up their movements. And Eric does such a great job of connecting that back to the history of what we saw with the KKK in the American South. So I, I thought this was a good opportunity for us to just check back in and get some updates, uh, particularly as the, the White House is looking to make some moves on this issue. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Mira, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me and excited to, to talk about something actually happening uh, uh, here in the United States right now. So I'm going to put you down for over it. Okay, we got another one. We're trying to see how many people we can get to just say they're over it, it being the queen's over it. session. Over it, it. With totally. great nuance, with, with great nuance, but there are things happening in this country and uh, uh, they're critical things. And we often get accused of, of hyper-focus uh, mm -hmm. in the United States, but hyper-focus on all the wrong things. And I'm just happy for a chance for all of us to talk about some things we should be paying attention to, mm -hmm. uh, along with things happening over across the lake in England. Well, when you, when you hear this type of veneration and you hear uh, Tucker Carlson taking an entire segment on his popular show to really dig in and say how India has not accomplished anything or built anything even remotely as remarkable as what the British made in the train station. What are you really hearing? Right. Because I, I hear some of that make America great again narrative come out. Yes, you're, you're hearing a, a, a false nostalgia, a, a story mm -hmm. uh, that has been told about how the world and uh, civilization has come to be. And it's one that leaves out uh, uh, significant decades and generations of, of exploitation, uh, open warfare and uh, 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 inequity. And uh, but underlying that is is a desire. You're exactly right. The 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 rhetoric uh, around Tucker Carlson and others and, and their false nostalgia uh, about royalty in England is, is tied into their own desires. We, we have to remember we are dealing with a, a growing social movement, MAGA, that is committed to overthrowing American democracy. And when I say American democracy, I mean the democracy that has been built uh, largely through the struggle of people and communities to bring inclusive, transparent, and accountable democracy uh, to the United States. It's not perfect, uh, but it is a unfolding saga. And people like Tucker Carlson are committed to overthrowing that saga. And they're leaning into things in the past. And in many ways, though, they're manipulating that past. And in many ways, like here in the United States, they're they're holding up the idea of British royalty while, in fact, crushing it uh, uh, with the other hand. In truth, yeah. even the British royalty have come to understand the importance of democracy in a way that Tucker Carlson and those who he represents uh, will not admit. Yeah. Their job and goal is to destroy democracy. At least the royalty in the UK is trying to learn how to live alongside democracy. 
That is a excellent point that I have not heard come out in the cable news analysis, uh, which is that, yes, uh, the queen and the monarchy does bear responsibility for what has been done in their name. But in this modern moment, the queen specifically set out to not interfere with the functioning of democracy, though she was blessing the prime minister and the formation of a government in her name, that was part of an idea of the monarchy being a cultural unity, even when there was political discord. Do we have that similar sense here of what can create cultural unity in the United States? We we don't have that sense, though, though I would say uh, uh, we've lost that sense, but we've largely lost it through four years of intense political violence, intimidation, and harassment of ordinary citizens, elected officials, and and even uh, law enforcement uh, uh, around the country. The truth is, the majority of Americans, uh, uh, two-thirds of America, seek a country that is grounded in the concept of a multiracial democracy that moves us forward together. Look, we don't agree on all the details but we agree on the aspiration of where we want to go. The problem is is that one-third of America is not getting their way uh, as they see it, Uh, a country that is free of people of color and and Jews. And so they've chosen violence in order to disrupt the American idea. And what I mean by the American idea is that we are creative enough without kings, without emperors, uh, uh, without fake gods to come together to struggle and to ultimately move our society, move our families uh, uh, forward together. And what we've been dealing with is is four years of of terrorism. Uh, We live in a country right now where armed paramilitaries are terrorizing local communities. We live in a country where civil rights activists were run down by cars, were chased and beaten on the streets of America uh, in front of the eyes of, of media cameras. We are all very clear about the violence that has happened in the United States, the folks who are promoting the false notion of an old idea of of royalty seek to spread that idea because ultimately they would like to see their friend Donald Trump as Emperor Trump. And they've been very clear about that uh, uh, in in their work and in their attempt to overthrow the elections on January 6th. We're talking with Eric Ward. Uh, he's a race and extremism scholar who's a, a senior fellow, uh, a senior advisor, rather, at the Western State Center. And, and I, you mentioned the paramilitary organizations. You've also worked with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Help us understand the connection between what came out of Jim Crow South and how that's now translated yes. to the organizations that we're seeing activate in places like Michigan, Oregon, and Washington. Yes. So so we have I'm going to give a quick history lesson for, for those who are listening. So, you know, we have this thing called white supremacy that was based off the premise, right, of the chattel slavery of, of black people, the stolen lands and resources of native people and the control of primarily women's sexuality, misogyny. These are the three pillars of white supremacy. It allows Uh, Europeans to organize and exploit the society and ultimately create uh, the United States of America. Look, 
none of us were around when when that happened. None of us are responsible. But that is the creation of the United States. Within that, there has always been resistance by all people, including some whites, uh, towards that system of exploitation. We get to the 1950s, the 1960s, and we have what's known as kind of the second reconstruction. This is after the Civil War. This is ultimately at the end of re- of. Uh, uh, of the wave of Klan uh, that raged across the United States. This civil rights movement overturns white supremacy as the rule of law. And what I mean by overthrowing mm. uh, white supremacy is that it creates this alternative to white supremacy called multiracial democracy. And it starts to catch the imagination, not just of black people, but of women, of white working class people, of Latinos, Native Americans, and others who decide that this is the best way to move forward. From the very beginning, this is this is resisted. Uh, we see another wave of the Klan. Uh, but when the Klan falls out of favor, other things begin to enter that space, borrowing from uh, Nazism in Europe, borrowing from pseudo-religions. They begin to reconstruct what is known as the white nationalist movement. If white supremacy was about exploitation, white nationalism was about ethnic cleansing. Mm. It decided that the United States was no longer its, right? And that it needed to overthrow the United States in order to create their all white ethnic uh, uh, um, uh, grouping. And this is what we have been dealing with uh, uh, since the 1980s, since the Greensboro massacre that occurs in North Carolina, where Klansmen, Nazis, and others for the first time come together in coalition and uh, engage in the mass killing of, of anti-Klan protesters uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's the birth of the white nationalist movement. And it has grown from the margins to the mainstream ever since, largely off radar, largely through building power at, at the local level. Just like those who believe in inclusion, those who believe in exclusion have been engaging and organizing. The difference is, is that they're willing to use violence and terrorism in order to achieve their ends. Eric Ward, uh, he is a senior advisor at the Western State Center. You can follow him on Twitter. Eric, what's your what's your uh, Twitter handle? It's Bulldog Shadow, uh, uh, which would have been my seven-year-old professional wrestling if I had Love become it. a professional wrestler. I mean, we, we all need a backup plan. We all need a backup plan. We all need a backup plan. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine is dog walker, which I think is very reasonable and something I could totally absolutely do. Uh, Eric, real quick, because I just have about a minute left. Um, yeah. The White House is planning to do a, a thing tomorrow called United We Stand. It's about countering hate and violence. What do you want to see come out of that event? Yeah, it's significant. Biden has taken a huge step forward. This is historic. I hope people pay attention to it and and watch it. It will be live streamed uh, from the White House website. And in short, this is the federal government bringing together state and local officials to begin a strategy to give relief to local communities who have been dealing with this political intimidation and hate violence. It is probably one of the most significant meetings to take place in Biden's administration. People should really pay attention for local communities who have suffered under hate violence and Mm -hmm. political intimidation. uh, uh, We are very delighted to to work together. Uh, We move forward by coming together. Uh, We solve problems by coming together. 
by coming together. Eric Ward, thank you so much. Folks, I'm your host, Naira. We will be back talking about abortion rights at the top of the next hour. Stick around for Imani Gandhi on Tell Me Everything. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I want to take a moment now to talk about the federal abortion ban proposed by Lindsey Graham. I have an amazing guest to help us understand how that fits in with the politics of today, what this means, uh, and then what else is going on in the fight to end forced birth, because that is what this guest calls it. And I fully agree with Imani Gandhi. She's a senior editor of law and policy for Rewire News Group. Uh, she covers law and court. She also hosts this podcast called Boom! lawyered and she continues to write the angry black lady chronicles imani so good to talk to you again what is your initial reaction to Lindsay's law Lindsay's law <laughs> it makes it sound like you're talking about kidnapped children um i think no, just of course birth be- children <laughs> right exactly i think it was exactly what i expected to happen um it's it's you know, it just lays bare the hypocrisy. And I'm sort of in this place lately where I'm just sort of tired of laying bare hypocrisy because mm. laying bare hypocrisy doesn't ever seem to do anything. But in this case, I really think it just lays bare this hypocrisy about what the downfall of Roe was supposed to do, right? It was supposed to send the question back to the states. And so we could have this patchwork of abortion law on a state-by-state basis. Lindsey Graham himself tweeted something to that effect tweeted something that the most constitutionally responsible way to deal with the abortion issue was to, to throw it back to the states. And then mm-hmm. here we are, you know, a few months later, and we've got a national ban. People in the movement space, the reproductive justice rights movement space, knew that this was going to happen. What's been frustrating is sort of watching mainstream media, the sort of, this I, I like to call them substack bros, but the sort of Matt Iglesias types, these Glenn Greenwalds, those sort of Nate Silver type people who are just sort of yeah, waking substack up bros, to the like, fact. Like, like white dudes who are like, it's always about the economy. Oh, wait a second. Right. Wait, wait. Right. Wait a minute. And these dudes wait are just sort of, they're just sort of waking up now 
and realizing that we're living in a world where state governments and now the federal government wants to force people to give birth in a you know in in the middle of three pandemics <laughs> in a in a country where we don't have universal health care they want they want to force people to give birth and i think i think that just can't be stated enough you know what i mean they're forcing people to carry the government's baby mm. and i am at a point where and i've been talking about this all day on twitter where i think that we need to recognize that we're in a human rights crisis and we need to understand that we should not be negotiating our rights away. What I find frustrating about these sort of substack bros is that they're very quick to negotiate the rights of pregnant people away as if they're nothing because they are nothing to them. So while I agree we need to keep our eye on the ball, I also think that we need to start engaging in, mitig in harm mitigation measures. And I think that that means that we need to, for example, talk about the fact that yes, all abortions, that, that we should not be differentiating between the kinds of abortions people mm -hmm. are getting. But if we wanna talk about the particular cruelty of the Republican Party, we should talk about the fact that in the case, in cases of rape and incest, they think that it's, it's, you know, God's plan to force a person to carry that pregnancy to term. I mean, there yeah, are certain it's the idea of like you, you show the, the the cruelty and you show that the yes. cruelty is the point, and you point out that. Uh, even this state senator in South Carolina who gave this weeping speech about how he didn't realize that this 16-year-old who, um, you know, her baby or what a 19-year-old young woman, I'll say, uh, would not be able to carry her baby to term. And it actually she could end up losing any ability to have babies in the future. And her mother asked for help. But the law he passed made it impossible for her to get an abortion. And the next day she tried to commit suicide. She tried to uh, kill herself. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. This is not what I intended. And I sit with that and da da da. And then a week later, he doubles down on the law again. I'm like, yeah. God, they, they, they are telling you who they are. And they, they, they want to be able to show that they have empathy, but not actually mm -hmm. do anything policy-wise right. with that empathy, right? Like, they are perfectly happy to have draconian laws on the books. And we end up, because we, you know, share a political space with Substack bros, uh, you know, talking about like, well, should we say this? Should we say that? No, just go for the emotional argument. This stuff is inhumane. That's it. It's inhumane. You, it's absolutely it, and, inhumane. And you should not force anybody, for whatever reason, to give birth. By the way, here's some horrible stories about people being forced to give birth right now. That is a very right. easy thing to do. We don't need to be arguing about that. We just need to be saying that. Why then, in the midst of all of that, when abortion is polling, as an issue that is motivating women to sign up as Democrats, to turn up to vote. Like it's it's activating people on the pro-choice side. Why would Lindsey Graham try to drop a national abortion ban right now? Like, how does that help I mean, him? I don't, it's, it's unclear. I mean, part of it is just that they don't see voters as an obstacle to their policy goals. Right. I mean, there are people who are living in gerrymandered and voter suppressed states who it doesn't matter how many of them sign up to vote and stand in line for 18 hours to vote. Their votes are not going to be counted. So I think in a certain respect, you know, we're still up against this big lie about elections being stolen. 
you know, in response to that big lie, there has been an even further crackdown on voting on, on voting laws, making it even more difficult for people to vote. So I think in a certain respect, they just don't think that, that they don't think that Democrats have the numbers and they don't think that mm. the de- Democrats have the numbers to overcome the voter suppression. Right. Like, Stacey right. Abrams That's what it is. Like they, they have gerrymandered. They have gerrymandered and they have closed enough polling and they've made it difficult enough to vote. They're like, even if you get all these folks registered and out to vote, they think they've manipulated the system enough to win. Yeah, precisely. And and that's number one. And number two is that when it comes to abortion, these people don't care about public policy or polling, rather, public polling and public sentiment. They have an agenda. Their agenda is set by, you know, the Catholic Church and, and big Christian evangelical organizations like Focus on the Family and all and Family Research Council and you know Alliance Defending Freedom and all of these anti-choice, anti-LGBTQ as well organizations. They are setting the agenda and they are backed by dark money. They are backed by huge moneyed interests. So it doesn't matter really what the people think, right? It doesn't matter that the mm-hmm. idea that a fetus is a person that a fertilized egg should have constitutional rights, the same constitutional rights as you or I have, it doesn't matter that that's absolutely absurd. It's at the Supreme Court now. And when the Supreme Court takes this case and rules on this case, that there, there's going to be a balancing test that's going to emerge from this, from this illegitimate court that balances the rights of fertilized eggs against the rights of breathing people. That's just the path that we are on, irrespective of what voters can or cannot do. Because even if voters are able to change Congress, we can't change the Supreme Court that quickly. I mean, I mean, we can mm-hmm. if we were to mm-hmm. commit to expanding the courts, but Biden has yes. already said he's not. I don't see there being a huge Democratic wave of support for that. So we're stuck with these with these six criminals essentially these corrupt people i I don't want to say criminals i will say corrupt people until they die and that's just the reality we live in now we're talking with Amani Gandhi. She's senior editor of Law and Policy for Rewire News. Uh, she covers law at courts. She co-hosts Boom, Lawyered, and, and she's a reproductive rights activist and expert. When you talk about this court and uh, have, we're stuck with them until they die, they, you know, Republicans had a long game effort to in, make sure that the people they put in place uh, would be around for more than a minute, right? The, 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 like Amy Comey Barrett. Kavanaugh, they're younger. They're in their 40s, right? Like you, it was unfathomable that a Supreme Court justice would be appointed at that age, even 10 or 15 years ago. Um, Biden said he's not expanding the court. Is there a is then the play? What's uh, for protecting abortion rights in particular? Is it passing national abortion protections? Is it working the state level courts? What's the play? Because vote harder doesn't cut it for me. Right. I mean, definitely the play is local is state courts. A lot of these abortion bans are being blocked in state courts. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fighting going on in state courts. And that's an area where voters really have can have a lot of impact depending upon what state they live in. Right. Because in some cases you can elect your judges, you can elect mm-hmm. your Supreme Court judges and your Supreme Court judges, as we saw in Kansas in 2019, when they found the right to an abortion in the Kansas Constitution, like that is important. So, um, you know, vote harder is not the answer, but vote smarter, I think, is definitely the answer. And when it, mm-hmm. if you live in a state where you can elect your judges, you really need to be one of those people that's a resource for other people, because that's a really hard thing to do is to find out 
information about these judges. It's a difficult, I mean, I've, I've done that research for people. It's a pain in the ass. But I, I just, I, I think the problem generally is that there's just a, a level of denial about what's going on still. And I think as state legislatures, state legislatures start to come back into session, we're going to see just a deluge of some of the most ridiculous legislation when it comes to abortion that we've mm -hmm. seen in a decade, because they're just going to keep pushing the envelope, pushing the boundaries, right? We're going to see more bills about how you can reverse medication abortions. We're going to see more bills about how you can reimplant ectopic pregnancies into the womb. I mean, they're just going Medically to get more impossible. and more ridiculous. Medically impossible it, to do that. Absolutely medically impossible. But that but, you know, it's also medically untrue that fetuses feel pain. But yet yes. Lindsey Graham has got in his bill that fetuses feel pain at 15 weeks. It, and it that is that's also medically untrue. I, I do need to jump in on this one because this is the one that drives me insane, having yeah. literally watched uh, as, as somebody with both of my kids are IVF. So you, you get to see a lot more and you know a lot more about what's going on in fetal development than most people do when they realize they're pregnant because you're monitoring it literally from the moment of implantation. And yeah. It's not like the, the, the fact that everybody, even in editorial newsrooms and journalists will say heartbeat, but like, it is not a heartbeat. It is right. fetal cardiac tissue. It is not. It is. It is literally the movement of fetal cardiac tissue that will one day form a heart. That is not right. a heartbeat. What you're yeah, seeing there is not a heartbeat. But like we, we adopt the language that they that they give us. Which is why I love the forced birth. I'm like, yes, own it then. We, I want to make, right. I want to make that side own the reality of what they're actually doing, as opposed to what we end up doing is using their lingo and then trying to argue around it. Right, right. You have to keep the message simple. And what's what's interesting about this inflection point now is that there are a lot of people who thought that they were pro-life. And who marched for life when mm. they were in, you know, on student campuses, and now they're 30 years old, and perhaps they have a difficult pregnancy, or they had a miscarriage, mm -hmm. and they don't want their miscarriage to become a crime scene, or they don't want to have to wait mm -hmm. and become septic for three days before they're permitted to evacuate the the rest of the by lawyers, of their uterus, B by right. lawyers, by not lawyers, by the doctors, by the lawyers at the hospital, by lawyers and administrators. Like I think, I think it's they are starting to realize that what they were marched, they didn't know what they were marching for. They yeah. were marching for promiscuous sluts being foreclosed from getting abortion. That's what mm -hmm. they were marching for. Yeah. They weren't marching for people who went through IVF like you did being called murderers because you didn't implant every single embryo, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they consider a, a, an embryo that has not been implanted to be the same as murdering a child. Mm -hmm. You can't reason with that kind of, no. that kind of nonsense. And so, I think that just generally I would like for people to be more prepared. And I think the point that you made is a good one. Stop using their framing. Use, we have to be better about, about not using their framing. If you're a journalist or in the media or consider yourself on the left, there's no reason for you to be calling these people pro-life ever, ever, mm -hmm. because they're not mm -hmm. pro-life. They are forced birth. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, it's anti-healthcare. It's anti-healthcare, right? The, the Absolutely. It is unscientific, but you, I, I love the way you pointed out that many women were complicit in this and women did not realize what they were marching for, right? The, the yeah. idea of shaming another woman um, and abortion being a dirty word. Like, listen, I, there was a period of time when I was younger, I'm like, oh yeah, late term abortion. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, we shouldn't have that. And then when you look at the science and medicine of it, you're like, no doctor 
actually performs a late-term abortion unless it's absolutely necessary. Like this, this but, idea. I mean, late-term abortion isn't even a medical thing. That's not exactly. that's terminology again that they came up with because a late like how can you have a late-term abortion? A pregnancy is a term. Like you have these terms. Either you, either it's later in the pregnancy or it's earlier in the pregnancy, but there's no term. It's just very, they're very good. I mean, they do the same thing with partial birth abortion. They do the same thing with dismemberment abortion. No, I mean, they are constantly reframing things. Yes. Um, And that is, yeah, that's part of our challenge of not, of of making this, uh, but I think this is that they have overstepped. This is a deeply human issue and women who were willing to be silent and just kind of like, okay, whatever, are realizing that this is this is now affecting our, our lives in a way that we have not been challenged for a generation. And I just wish that we had not gotten to this point to for a new younger generation of women to wake up to what what's at risk. Um, Imani, so appreciate you uh, speaking out the way you do, giving with a clarity of thought uh, on this issue in particular. Folks, please do follow her work. Uh, she's on Twitter. She's great on Twitter, Angry Black Lady. But you can follow her podcast on Rewired News Group, Boom Lawyered. And she's also a senior editor of Law and Policy there where she writes regularly. Imani, thank you so much, folks. I'm going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to dig into uh, with uh, one of our friends from Media Matters about what's going on in the other side of the information space, right? Like, what, 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 what's the bubble there? What's going on, and what do we need to be aware of, particularly on Fox News? Uh, I'm your host Naira here on Sirius XM Progress. Tell me everything. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. This is Naira here on Sirius XM Progress. Uh, it's so great to be with you and to have the opportunity to talk, uh, fill in for John as he takes a well, well-deserved break. One of the things we've been talking about is um, the language that we use to talk about issues, right? The idea of extremism uh, and not just calling it polarized environment, but pointing out that it is uh, white supremacy and that white supremacy has been part of the American landscape for quite some time. And that's that's what we're up against. Right. Uh, talking about no- abortion rights and not using the word pro-life when what the movement and current activists are doing is forcing birth. It's a forced birth movement. Our guest right now uh, is expert at breaking down narratives that we see on TV and understanding uh, what language is being used, um, what, how we can sometimes be complicit 
uh, even in our well intentions of arguing against these uh, challenges that we see um, by using the wrong phrases, the wrong framing, or even facts that aren't really true, which makes them not facts, right? They're called lies. Andrew Lawrence is with us. He's the deputy director of Rapid Response at Media Matters. Uh, he, bless him, watches a lot of Fox News, reads a lot of right-wing media, and bless you, Andrew, for doing that so we don't have to. Uh, I, I wanted to um, start with something that we've been tossing around today, which is uh, really just being over the pageantry of Queen Elizabeth's casket and all of that, right? <laughs> like, over it. Like, over it. Everybody calling and be like, I'm over it. But it has given an opportunity to some of us to really dig in deeper, understand and discuss our history and look at it from different perspectives. Mine being the perspective of, you know, ancestry that was colonized by the British. Tucker Carlson t did uh, a version of it, looking at it through the perspective of somebody who would like to be a king? I mean, I'm not quite sure what to say about it. We had a guest who said um, that really it's it's this idea of this desire to, to go to this false past of really overthrowing American democracy. But what Tucker did masterfully in one segment, because he shot on everybody at the same time, uh, was say that the Indians have not done anything even remotely resembling the accomplishments of the British, specifically the British railway station unpack all of that for us like what is okay white supremacy got it what is tucker really tapping into that his audience is responding to well first of all thank you so much for having me um and there you know you said unpack all that there is a lot there to unpack you know i think that um at the surface level tucker carlson is just drawn to authoritarianism dictators and in this case mm -hmm. monarchy uh single rule and and his defense of the UK and the monarchy and the entire British Empire, it really shouldn't come as a surprise. You know, he's a guy who practices, uh, who, who preaches every single night on TV. Uh, what I would say is some sort of like a racist dominionism, you know, that mm. that uh, European people of European descent are simply better um, than than others. He, he believes that uh, people of European descent uh, created civilization and that that civilization that was created by the Europeans is in peril right now. And it's being jeopardized mm -hmm. by wokeism, uh, by the woke mob, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think also another tie-in, and this is very, very in the weeds, uh, but architecture is a huge side project of uh, white supremacists and extremists. And is that the, sure the monuments? Is it like monuments and, and heritage monuments, that kind of thing? Not even that. I'm talking like government buildings. And, I, you know, I don't know huh. if you've ever been to D.C. or uh, really almost any downtown. The government buildings, because they're usually built on the cheap, because, you know, they don't want to have to go and tell voters that they spent an extra 20 million dollars on architecture mm -hmm. or what have you. They're, they are usually not the most appealing buildings to look at. And for some reason, that is just a real side project of extremists and white supremacists. Um, I'm really not sure where, where that comes from, but it is. And, you know, Tucker has been on this for a while and I don't, you know, there were so many crazy things during the Trump era. I think I, I can see remember. where that comes from though, right? Cause it's the idea of building, right? Like something like the pyramids, a testament to your civilization mm -hmm. and your might, right? Like that's the kind of thing yep. that real leaders do. That's part of your legacy. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly part of that for sure. Um, but you know, I don't know if you remember back in the Trump era, he signed an executive order um, about government architecture and new buildings yeah. that had to be built uh, that, that had a certain aesthetic to it, uh, sort of the Roman columns, that type of thing. And it, and so all of that sort of folded uh, folded into Tucker's rant uh, defending the UK, the monarchy, the British Empire, and specifically pointing out uh, India um, and the architecture there, which is just so preposterous. I mean, it, it shows such a uh, an ignorance of that culture. Uh, but the thing is, he's so stuck in that little bubble. He's never going to hear that. His viewers don't know any better, and they just take everything he says as gospel. And so that's just out there now. And it's 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 wild watching this stuff every single night kind of unfold. And the, the wild stuff that he says just out of nowhere, uh, these little pet projects he takes on. Um, and, you know, usually when you dig into them a little bit, they they – are uh, they are these these pet projects of extremists uh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating insight into into um, that specific segment. You have also spent some time analyzing uh, this narrative that's been built up about crime, uh, and yes. it comes off the heels of the defund the police activism. Uh, reality is, no police department has lost funding. Yet somehow there is this sense that crime is just out of control, right? Like actually, most cities murder rates are down, but I guess it's petty crime—the kind that people see on the street, maybe up. But what what are Republicans doing with this focus on crime? Well, it's you know I, I would say it's not just a focus on crime. It's it's a focus on crime in blue states and blue cities. That's where it always comes from. And, you know, they go after Chicago relentlessly. They go after New York. They go after Los Angeles. If you talk to any Fox News viewer, uh, ask them about Portland. They will tell you that Portland burned to the ground. They literally um, think it doesn't exist anymore. They, they don't think it exists anymore. And that, that's not hyperbole. Like, I, I am telling you. And the reason why they think that is because Fox News, uh, particularly primetime, Tucker, uh, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram, tell them this. Every single night, they say that it was burned down by the Black Lives Matter movement and by Antifa, um, you know, and talk to any Fox News viewer about if they want to travel to New York or Washington, D.C., they'll say that it's a, a crime ridden, you know, asshole and that they can't uh, that they would never go anywhere near it. And I mean, I live in D.C. It's <laughs> that's not the case at all. So mm-hmm. it's it's this. But but again, this is like it's part of this this universe that they've created and you know the thing about fox news at this point particularly the last few years they really are very insulated in this bubble you know i mean we have statistics on our website at media matters showing that uh murder rates are actually much higher in red states than they are in blue states fox news is never going to have somebody on air to point that out you know because it's it just goes against the narrative. And, and that's the, the little bubble that they've created. And so that's why, you know, when you see when you talk to a Fox News viewer about Portland, um, Milwaukee, uh, all these different big cities, uh, they will tell you that it's been burned down because they haven't heard otherwise. Mm, mm. The crime narrative goes further than that, though, right? It, it's not just the, the distorted reality of what's happening in blue states, but it's mm-hmm. also leading to actual policy changes. Right. I mean, we yeah. have. Eric Adams as a mayor of New York, former police commissioner, you know, um, asking for more, you know, criminalizing more uh, 
more behaviors that were otherwise, uh, you know, civil violations. We have homelessness being criminalized. Right. Well, and, you know, you also you take a look at um, even on, on a national scale. I mean, you, you see and this includes Democrats and Joe Biden pumping, you know, seven hundred billion dollars in into police services uh, because of this narrative, because they have to fight back against it. And because pollsters are telling them that, you know, defund the police is hurting them and all that. Um, so that's all that's all be, being funneled in there. And, you know, it's for what? And I, I don't know if people remember, but during the Black Lives Matter movement, um, when, when it first got started following the George Floyd protests, uh, there were story after story of cops saying blatantly that they were going to let crime happen. You know, they were just as as payback. They were going to let crime happen. And crime rates went up everywhere. And people are blaming defund the police. And, you know, we, we have cops saying that they're just not going to do their job now. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's that's enough for the slight uptick in, in crimes that we're seeing. But the truth is, crime is way down from the highs of the 90s, way, way down. And it's just, again, there is this universe that they live in that just doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist, but they're convinced that it does. And it's just, it's one of those things, um, you know, again, with like immigration, critical race theory, it's, it's all of these things that sort of come together. Obviously there's a race element to all of this as well. Um, but it just becomes common knowledge inside this bubble. And you're just, you can't break it once it's in there. You, you just can't, they cannot convince them otherwise, no matter what. Mm. We're talking with Andrew Lawrence. Uh, he works in rapid response at Media Matters. Uh, he tweets at uh, Andrew uh, underscore Lawrence. <laughs> Andrew, um, what, are, what are we seeing really building up as the is part of the Republican MAGA messes machine headed into the midterms? Mm-hmm. Like, where do they see what are they doubling down on other than, you know, racism? Yeah, well, I mean, there is crime, you know, is one thing. But you, you mentioned something in, uh, when you were introducing me uh, that I'd kind of like to touch on. And that's the way that that Republican messaging gets a little bit whitewashed and, mm. and it becomes a little bit more palatable. And all of a sudden the mainstream media picks it up and then all of a sudden it's an issue. And I think a really fantastic example of that is the Virginia's governor's race that happened in uh, 21, I guess, uh, mm. when Glenn Youngkin defeated Terry McAuliffe. The big issue in that became, quote unquote, education. But education wasn't the issue. It was this BS critical race theory nonsense where they were saying that uh, that uh, there's targeted racism against white people, that white children are being taught that they don't matter because of the color of the skin and blah, blah. It's all nonsense. And that's what the issue really was. But that got whitewashed by pollsters who would pull it as education. And of course, everybody cares about education. So, you know, when you see that 80 percent of of Virginia voters are are, uh, concerned with education, that's you're going to keep talking about critical race theory. And then that that sort of it just swells and becomes this narrative. And then, you know, you have Terry McAuliffe trying to to denounce critical race theory. And he doesn't even know what it is and it doesn't really exist, you know. So I think Mm -hmm. that type of thing, because that works so well in Virginia, uh, to get back to your question, I think we're going to see a lot of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. I think that there is uh, a panic around LGBT issues right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I work evenings. I'm watching Laura Ingram right now, essentially saying that schools are are grooming children towards uh, to to be victims of pedophilia, mm-hmm. and it's it's nuts. Like it, it's so crazy. And if you said that out in in the real world, uh, people would think that you were a lunatic standing on a. But court. but it gets repeated but, enough. 
and you like start like all you need is a couple of crazed parents or crazed people dealing with it and like you've made teachers and school board members their life a living hell right and then you have video of people yelling at a school board you don't you don't even have to know what they're saying you just have the video of people yelling at a school board all of a sudden that's being played on local news who are saying education is a hot top a hot button issue this this year but it's not education it's these insane conspiracy theories you know so we're going to see a lot of that we're going to see a lot of the lgbt issues and then of course every election season we see a caravan come around and that's that the wheels uh-huh. have been turning on that but we're going to start seeing a new new scare tactics around a migrant caravan coming up. And, uh, you know, those are, those are the things that they think that they can win on, um, is, is these, these culture war issues, uh, wokeism is what they call it now. Um, yeah, I mean, woke, woke is now just a substitute for saying black. The idea that people are, uh, all upset about Holly being a, the little mermaid when, oh my God, even like above and beyond vocals, like she bodied those vocals. I have never heard it like that. And everybody who was involved in casting and the directors like, no, like she, she set the bar so high, nobody can match it, but they literally are calling her the woke little mermaid. Right. And she's black. That that's what you meant. That, that is what they mean. And, you know, I see it every single night, um, on, a much smaller scale where where they'll criticize Joe Biden for bringing in a, a quote unquote woke DOD nominee or whatever. And it's just a black person, you know, and that's but it's that's where we're at right now is it, it's really crazy. It's wild to see. And like the the over white supremacy, every mm-hmm. Fox News was always racist. They have always been racist, mm-hmm. but it was. You know, I sort of describe it as like a country club racism, which is not good. It's still very, very bad and very sinister and sneaky. But at this point, they are just straight up saying that minorities are coming to kill white people. And I mean, they just get away with it every night. And at first there was a huge groundswell of backlash against this type of rhetoric. and this. But they just kept saying it and it just Mm -hmm. becomes normal. And that's just where we are right now. And now, you know, we see we see the repercussions. We saw it in uh, Buffalo, um, the, the guy who is who shut up the grocery store because of the white replacement theory. Uh, same thing with the Walmart in El Paso, the synagogue mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. We're seeing real world implications of this stuff. But because they get good ratings, because they just keep saying it and don't back down, they're still going to have advertisers. They're still going to have viewers and nothing is. It, I mean, the clock is ticking until things like that happen again. Mm. Andrew, um, appreciate you giving us a call, um, chatting with us. Um, when you think about um, the midterm elections, what is the narrative that worries you the most in terms of what what Democrats might fall susceptible to? I, I mean, it's always the economy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you, you take a look at a few months ago when gas prices were rising, when inflation was rising, uh, the poll numbers were starting to sink. Um, and, and what's so frustrating about this is that Republicans don't have a plan to, co- to combat any of this. They're just throwing tomatoes from the rafters right now. Um, and that, that's all that they can really do. But because the alter- they would be the alternative choice is, uh, you know, I think that could really help them out. I think a lot of this stuff that we've talked about today, if it's covered properly in the mainstream media, will actually turn off voters. You know, I, I don't think that voters want the diary of Anne Frank banned from their mm-hmm. kids' schools, you know? I mm-hmm. think they want their kids to know that slavery actually happened. And mm-hmm. these are, you know, as silly as that sounds, Republicans 
don't want the diary of Anne Frank in, in schools. They don't want uh, Toni Morrison to be read in schools. They don't want uh, the, the true history of uh, America's founding to be told. Um, and I think that that type of stuff, you know, and then you get into abortion and, and um, things like that. Uh, the recent polling that I've seen has looked pretty good for Democrats, and I've seen a real turn actually with uh, that fathers uh, uh, turning more towards Democrats and Republicans, which is a little surprising. Um, but I, you know, I think it's the economy. It, it almost always is. Um, and I, I really think that would, that would worry me. Andrew, we will keep all the things you said in mind as we, you know, go to the polls and vote harder this time around. <laughs> yep. But I, I think, I think, I think certainly we can also vote smarter as well, particularly all y'all who are able to vote for judges uh, in your yep. local districts. It's, it's, you know, when you talk about uh, how crime gets prosecuted and what doesn't get prosecuted. Um, that's all in electing the DAs. That's all in electing the judges at the local level. If you want to see any um, criminal justice reform, that's an easy way to do it. So, uh, Andrew, appreciate you. Thank you for joining us, folks. You can follow Andrew at Andrew. Uh, and uh, he's with Media Matters. I'm your host, Mayor, filling in for John Fugel saying on Tell Me Everything. <laughs> 